as part of what I want to uh, talk about this morning, I want you to kind of cast your minds back to last year and the momentous events we had of uh, our country deciding to vote to leave Europe and also uh, our cousins across the water deciding to elect Donald Trump. Um, just to sort of keep that in mind, I'm not particularly speaking about that, but um, I think it has a relevance to what I'm going to say and how we might feel about that and what we might think about that. And um, I have to admit this sermon did first originate out of those, so I have preached it before. No apologies for that. The greatest sermon ever preached, hands in the, what was it, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards, often referred to as the greatest sermon ever preached was a second time round when it had its great effect so you never know you might have a great effect this morning if we're lucky (laughs) but before we focus on the Brexit or anything else for that matter I wonder if any football fans are among us any football fans a few yeah I want to uh, can you get that picture up for me please yeah fantastic I've got a picture down here haven't I you see I wonder if you remember this this was around about the same time as Brexit, when we exited the European Championships of football as well. And there were friend Roy Hodgson, who was the England manager, for those who don't like football at the time. And also we exited to Iceland, the great footballing power that is Iceland, with a population less than Leicester, I believe. Um, just to let you know how drastic event this actually was for football. He arrived at the press conference and said, uh, I don't really know why I'm here what I'm doing here and uh, it might be because you're the England manager but there you go Um, I don't really know why I'm here I wonder if you ever had that thought you know perhaps when you go upstairs or something like that and you you arrive upstairs and you sort of think what did I come up here for or you go into the kitchen I live in a a three story house I don't know if you know it Uh, it's the manse people often call it Peter Amos's house he left about 25 years ago but nevertheless they still call it his house and uh it's his fault that I live in it because he bought it. I believe it was his idea, but there we go. <laughs> um, I don't like it, but that's just that's just the way it is. It's better than no house. We'll get to that later on. And um, but the kitchen's downstairs. The living room's on one floor, and the bedroom's on the next floor. So whenever you even go to the kitchen, you've had a flight of stairs to get back to where you were for nothing because you forgot what you came down for. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of annoying and uh, so on. So and I curse. Uh, Peter Amos every time. It's not really, though, uh, the idea that um, we forget what we've gone somewhere for that I want us to think about. I want us to think about uh, those times in life when uh, we sort of wonder, what on earth has happened? What on earth am I doing here? What on earth is this happening for? Um, You might have found yourself in difficult circumstances from time to time. You know, bereavementville, or divorceville, or sicknessville, or redundancyville. Whether you wanted to be there or not, we've all found ourselves in Brexitville and Trumpville, or some other kind of ville that you could possibly think of that you didn't want to be in, and you found yourself there. And you're wondering, and you're, you're thinking, what on earth is going on? Why on earth am I here? What, you know, what, where's God that we ended up here? Why has this happened? I didn't want to be here. It might even have something to do 
with your church life. I've been in churches twice that closed down. Uh, I've been made redundant twice by churches, so made jobless twice by churches, and almost, kind of, you might say, made homeless by my church um, involvement as well, and had to find somewhere else to live. And you kind of wonder, I can assure you I did, what on earth is going on? What, what, why, why is this happening? What, what, is, what am I doing here? <laughs> How did we arrive at this place? What is going on? And uh, I mentioned Brexit and Trump because lots of people woke up on those particular mornings and thought, what on earth is going on? What on earth have we done? You might not have been one of them, that's fine. Um, I'm not making a, uh, a sort of judgment on what was good or bad or anything like that. I'll leave that for others to do. Um, but simply because a lot of people woke up in panic and a lot of division and a lot of people wondering what's going on. And if you're part of Great Britain, we're sort of nearly the two-year mark, aren't we, now or something like that, but we're still kind of wondering what on earth's going on, aren't we? Yeah, and um, both votes were very close, so an awful lot of people didn't get what they were want. And so many people have and can say with our friend, Roy, I don't really know what we're doing here. We're going to take a look this morning at a very well-known verse of Scripture that people quote again and again. Often it's uh, given at baptisms and uh, events like that, you know, induction services and uh, ordination services and graduations. And um, it's Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. So if I could have the next slide, great. Congratulations, it says up there, as you can see. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But surprisingly, this verse wasn't written originally to uh, baptismal candidates or a new minister on the occasion of his induction or a graduate, as the picture suggests here, or somebody setting out on a new venture that's really exciting or something like that. It wasn't given in that context in the first place. No, it was part of a prophetic letter written by Jeremiah to a people carried off, carried off uh, into exile by a foreign power and forced to settle in a foreign land. It was probably written to a people who may have been saying, they don't know what they're doing here. What on earth has happened? What on earth has gone wrong that we've ended up here? Where's God? A people who had lost everything in material terms. Their home, their money, their income, possibly their family and friends. Their national identity was at threat. They're under threat. So let's, let's read about them, shall we? Jeremiah 29. I'm going to read really from verse 4 through to verse 14. But I want to begin with verse 1 as well because that sort of sets the context for these people. So verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So that's what we're reading, the text of the letter. So verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. 
Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord... Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me and you will seek me with all your heart. I will be found by by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place which I carried you into exile. And so God has a plan. I know the plans I have for you, says God. God has a plan. Now some might believe that the, that the plan that God is speaking about is only the latter part of our reading, the returning to the homeland from where God had carried them from. But it seems clear to me, if you look at the text in the context and you read it through, and particularly from, say, the statement in the last verse, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile, this is all part of God's plan. So these Israelites are wondering why on earth they're in the place they're in. Perhaps we are wondering that too. But God had a plan. And the good news this morning is God has a plan for you too. God has a plan for you. If you're one of those who are saying, I don't know why I'm here. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your church. We've Heard somebody mention that this morning. God has a plan for your church. God has a plan for Brexit and Donald Trump. I know no one else in our nation has a plan for Brexit, but the good news is God has a plan for Brexit. And so as some panic and protest and ask for another vote, we as Christians, we should be the calmest people in the country right now we should be the calmest people in the country because we should believe that God has a plan now I should add and and, and those of you who are into this will realise and into uh, biblical history will realise that of course this wasn't God's perfect plan this wasn't God's uh, commandment that was being carried out it was happening because the Israelites had disobeyed God they'd turned themselves into idol worshippers and that's why this was happening but nevertheless it was still God's plan. It was still what God planned at this particular moment in time. It came about because of their continued disobedience. And we should note as well that that's not necessarily everybody's disobedience. It's not the disobedience of the individual that was being judged. It was the disobedience of the nation that was being judged. And so you might find yourself in a situation that is totally out of your control. Someone might wrong you. 
And it leaves you in a place you didn't expect to be. It could be the fault of people who were long gone from your life. Sickness presumably came into the world with humanity's sin. And natural disaster is also a likely consequence of a fallen world. The economy might be doing particularly badly. And of course that's the banker's fault, not your own. Any bankers among us? (laughs) Blame them, blame them. You might have voted to remain in the Brexit vote. I don't really care. And you didn't even get a vote in the American presidential elections. There again, you you can find yourself in uh, a difficult situation uh, because of your own mistakes and the things you've done yourself. Um, Chances are it's perhaps a little bit of both. As you know, I found myself separated and divorced a few years ago. I've shared that with with you before, or at least most of you know. Uh, A place I didn't want to be. And uh, still, if the reality is known, I still don't want to be there. But uh, that wasn't just my ex-wife's decision who decided to leave. That fault, it was also partly my fault. There was things that happened in the marriage which were my fault. And I look back at it at the time and... Could God have prevented it, I think to myself? And the answer is yes. Yes, God could prevent it. In fact, she'd, she'd been quite ill for a number of years before she left. And uh, she gets better and then leaves. And I'm sort of looking at that thinking, why you just leave her ill, God? You know, that, that would have been much... Perhaps <laughs> not the most loving of attitudes, but it would have been much easier on my, on me, God. So, <laughs> there you go. Um, did God cause it? No, I don't believe God caused it. Did God allow it? Yes, I believe God allowed it. You see, because I believe he, in his power... He could have stopped it, you see. So why did he allow it? Well, I believe because God in his wisdom allows what he could prevent in his power. I'll say that again because I think it's worth saying again. God in his wisdom allows what he could prevent in his power. And God allows it because he has a plan and he can work through it. It actually doesn't really matter how you came to be where you are. What matters is that there is a plan for you where you are. Wherever you have ended up and wherever you are today and wherever we are as a church and, and so on, God has a plan. The plan for you, a plan for your church, a plan for our country and a plan for the world. And God knows the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Can I have the next slide, please? Thank you. You see, this verse, when understood in its context, blows the idea away that God always wants to bless us and um, do good to us as we perceive blessing and good. It blows it right out of the window. Often that's preached, come to Jesus and your life will get better, and so on. But this, this, this verse actually blows that out of out of the window if you read it correctly in its context. You see, many people are teaching that God wants to bless us and do us good and prosper us. And I agree. I agree. God does want to do those things to us. But God's way of prospering us is not always the same as the human way and isn't always perceived in the same way. The plan which God had for these Israelites carried off into captivity was to prosper them and not to harm them. Now, there may be those, and there may be those among you here, who say I'm reading it wrong, that this part 
of the verse is about God taking them back to their homeland. That's what the prosperity is. Really? Are you sure? Why would God point out that that's a plan for prosperity and not to harm them? That's obvious, isn't it? I mean, if they're going back to the homeland, that's prosperity. They didn't need that explaining to them. It's the other bit. Going into exile, being in exile, living in a foreign land, that's the bit that appears like it's going to harm them. That's the bit that appears like it's uh, going to cause them problems, and I'm sure it did. That's the bit that needs explaining. It needs to be said that this is a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. I can tell you that nine years ago, uh, divorce didn't look like a plan to prosper me. It didn't look like that. And there's many times, even today, it doesn't look like that. And I wonder what you're going through. I wonder what's happening in your life that doesn't look like it's for your good, but it looks like it's for your harm. And you can't stop it. And let's be clear, in some ways it may harm you. It may hurt emotionally or physically. It might make you financially worse off. Maybe Brexit will do that. But ultimately, it is to prosper you. If we look at our passage, I think we can see a number of ways that Jeremiah's letter shows God's intention is to prosper the exiles. They were to engage and seek to prosper the city they were in. Verse 7. God often wants us to do well. He wants us to do well. He wants us to enjoy life. He's a good father and he loves giving good gifts to his children. It's just sometimes that God has a plan, a bigger plan. And so he allows things like an exile to bring his plan about. And he wants to bless his people. And so in our text we see that providing they engage and get involved in the community and pray for the community, it would appear that God is going to bless the community so that they are blessed. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God will bless a whole community so that you get blessed. How amazing is that? Your company that you work for. God can bless your company that you work for so that you can get blessed. I'm not saying he's going to do that. I'm saying he can do that. And that's the kind of thing that God will do. They were to, uh, Their numbers were to prosper. Verse 6. They were to multiply. God planned to increase their numbers. They weren't to decrease, they were to increase. They were to become more. They were to marry and have children and have grandchildren. God always wants his church to grow. And so no matter what happens and no matter how it happens in your life right now, God can bring growth through the things that are happening and the difficulties and the problems. It might have been years since you've been used in bringing growth to your church, but that doesn't mean to say that God can't use you. You can't be involved in that. That God can't um, give you an opportunity to to witness for him and to share the good news as um, Debbie was saying earlier on. See, what God cuts back, what God prunes, he prunes for only one reason. That's what we we prune, to bring growth, don't we? To bring more growth. And so if God's cut us back in some way through our circumstances and through situations, just like these Israelites in a sense were cut back by being taken into exile, the part of the reason is for growth so that God can bring more, more growth. And that's a biblical principle in, in many places. And what we see here with the exiles. Their work and homes were to prosper. Verse 5. 
They were to prosper materially. Now that might not have been to the level that they'd prospered pre- they had prosperity previously. I mean, they were taken from the homes in Israel or in Jerusalem and uh, Judah, as it was been known probably then. Um, but they were taken from their homes and they may have had more prosperity there than they had in Babylon. I don't know. But I tell you, if you haven't got a home and then you get a home, that's prosperity. Okay, and most of you probably haven't experienced that. I don't know. I've experienced it a few times. Um, in, in the house I live in now, I mentioned I didn't particularly like it. I don't like it. Um, it's the only house I've ever lived in that I didn't like. I don't like it. And I'd love to move, okay? But I tell you that when I got it, it was very much prosperity. Why was it prosperity? Well, I'd, I'd timed it and I, we were struck, there was no money to pay the rent of where I was living the, the next month. There was no money. I'd been made redundant from the church at Helmshaw and, uh, there was, I'd signed on, and I had a month signed on before the church outside voted, and there was no money to pay the rent. So I knew I had no money to pay the rent, so I'd given me notice in. And it all worked perfectly. So, you see, prosperity in a house you don't like is better than poverty in, a, in no house, yeah? You get, the, you get the gist of what I'm saying? So it might not be uh, prosperity as you think, but it's still prosperity. And this whole experience of being taken into exile, into a foreign land, uh, might not have given them a better home than they had before, but uh, it's better than no home. And it's prosperous in that sense. And so God was going to give them a level of prosperity in their new uh, place. But mostly, and we see it in verses 12 and 13, God wanted their attitudes and their spirituality and their focus on him to prosper. And nothing better for them to do uh, in exile than to focus on God. And and that's got to be the primary reason that they found themselves there and the primary reason we often find ourselves where we don't want to be is because God wants us to prosper spiritually. He wants us to focus more on him and he wants us to grow as Christians and become more like Jesus. Whether that be as an individual or as a family or as a church or a community or a nation. You see, James writes this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And Paul tells us, all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus. And it's very clear, you know, people get a bit mixed up with this verse, uh, what the good is that God's going to bring out of the situation. Well, it's in the next verse. And it's about becoming and being conformed to the image of Christ, his son. And so all things work together for the good of those who love him to make them more like Jesus. And it's making us more like Jesus. Whatever it was, whatever it is, Whatever has happened, bereavement, divorce, redundancy, family breakdown, financial difficulties, relationship problems, sickness, whatever it is, is to make you more like Jesus, not to harm you. Now that's prosperity. That's prosperity. Becoming like Jesus. You can't get more prosperous than becoming like Jesus. That's prosperity. 
The question is, is it? Is it making you more Christ-like? Ah, you're becoming more Christ-like. Are the teachings, sorry, are the struggles teaching you to trust him more? Because that's what struggles do. When it doesn't happen straight away, you have to, you have to find more trust. If it happens easy, straight away, that's, that doesn't produce more trust. That just becomes easy and you take it for granted. But when it's a struggle, that's when you have to dig deeper and you find more trust and so you grow. Is the pain making you more compassionate and loving? Because that's what pain does. You understand pain and then when you see somebody else, you, you can relate to it. And you understand it and so you become more compassionate and loving. Is the difficult person teaching you to love? Because that's what difficult people do. I mean, it's easy to love somebody who loves you back. The Bible says that. We all do that, it says. Try loving your enemy. Try loving somebody who's doing you bad. Try loving somebody who's who's not particularly loving towards you. That's when we learn to love, when we do that. Is the sadness teaching you to rejoice? You see, it's easy to shout and cheer and worship and bless God when everything's hunky-dory and it's great, it's a lot harder when it isn't. But actually, if we do it when it isn't, then we grow and we're learning to uh, rejoice. Is the waiting making you patient? God loves us I was wait, doesn't he? And we hate waiting. I mean, we, we get impatient in front of the microwave, don't we? Uh, yeah? <laughs> and we, you know... It's so easy for us nowadays. Touch buttons and things happen. We have it on our tablets and phones. And, you know, I mean, what did we do before Google? You know, we didn't know anything, did we? <laughs> yeah? But now we, we have the touch of the button. But God loves to make us wait. And the reason he loves to make us wait is because he's teaching us to be patient. Teaching us to be patient. Is the pain and the anger teaching you to forgive when we get offended at things are we willing to forgive are we learning to forgive you know I've found life I don't know if it's like this for everybody but I've found life being kind of like progression Uh, you know know, as we talk about going through the years at school uh, you sort of use American expressions of graduate you know you graduate grade one you know that's like uh just forgiving somebody who's uh, cut you up on the road or something like that, you know, you don't decide not to give them what for or something like that. And then, you know, and then somebody offends you at church. That's a bit harder, that, isn't it? And, and the church lets you down and you have to forgive. And then, and then, then your wife goes off with another book. And you have to forgive that. And you see, you see, you wouldn't have managed the big one at the beginning. Because that's like grade seven or something like that. But grade one, you can manage that one. But you have to qualify. You have to graduate. And so if life's really easy, guys, I've got, I, I, I want to suggest to you, maybe you're not qualifying. Maybe you're not graduating. And God's having to keep taking you around in circles. Because I found life gets harder and harder as time goes on. And God gives me bigger and bigger challenges. God, a plan our prosperity but it it might not always look like that it might not always look like that 
Ultimately, God's plan was to restore them to the homeland. Their changed character, their renewed spiritual life as a people, gave them a hope of a future return to their land. God's plan of captivity gave them a hope and a future. Many, though, would not live to see that, if any of that is. Uh, they would die in exile. Our reading gives God's timetable for this event as being 70 years. Uh, that's kind of like a, an end of it coming and then a, and the beginning of the restoration. So a lot of people were actually exiled longer than that. Um, and a lot of the people, or perhaps even nearly all the people who were carried off, or possibly all the people, I don't know, who were carried off in the first place, they would die in exile. I mean, they weren't going home. They would die in exile. Uh, but God, of course, has a plan for their future as well. They, they will share in eternal life with us if they go through the process that God was wanting to do with them, which was to uh, prosper them spiritually. Likewise, our exile experiences uh, life's difficulties. They are preparing for us an eternal home as well. Paul writes, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our troubles, at times when we find ourselves in these difficult circumstances, are achieving for us an eternal glory. What happened with the Israelites, what happened with these Jews in exile, is kind of happening to us as well through the difficulties and the situations we have. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed we want to share in his glory don't we and we want to be there when his glory is revealed God's promise gave them a hope of a future for their children and their grandchildren and for their nation the exiles had something great to pass on to their children and grandchildren. Not just the fact that they would return home, but they had the fruit of the exile. The fruit of hard times. I coined a phrase for this. I call it the prosperity of suffering. I think that's a brilliant term, so I'm going to say it again to you. The prosperity of suffering. You see, the next generations of the exiles would experience not being carried off, but would experience a return home. Uh, and they would have been changed. And the Lord, the Israelites, the Jewish na- the nation, uh, obviously had problems again. We read about them in the New Testament. As far as I understand, they never, ever again turned to idol worship. Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it worked. God's plan worked. We've heard many of the young people complain bitterly about the, the old over Brexit. Although it appears many of the young people didn't even bother to vote, so perhaps they should be blaming themselves. We do ever have something far more significant to pass on to the next generation than EU membership. We have a need to pass on the fruit of our experiences, the prosperity, if you like, of our suffering. In our passage, uh, 
and that indeed the rest of the chapter there are references to prophets declaring a quick return. In fact, there's, uh, this is one of the reasons that God instructs Jeremiah to send his letter. And in our generation, we have many people crying revival and, and uh, the, we're going to see this revival and that revival. And I've, I've been listening to this for 30, 30 odd years plus. And, uh, and I wonder, have they got it right? Or are they prophets that are crying uh, in the midst of something that's not going to happen? Maybe we need to experience a little bit of suffering before we experience revival and restoration. Some might suggest that we're already seeing some of the judgment of God on our nation with the the impact of Islam and perhaps uh, what Brexit will bring and what Trump will bring in the world. Maybe life in our nation will get more difficult. So we might see a return to God. Wouldn't that be worth it? I mean, most people's complaints about Brexit seem to be economic. Is that all we care about as Christians as well? Oh, well, I'm going to be a bit worse off and we might not have as much money. Is that where our lives are at? Is that where we, the way we think? <coughs> 70 years, often in our lives, in our churches, in Brexit. There's no quick fix. Trump can't be replaced for... Uh, four years, three and a half years or so now. It takes time for us to grow as God would want us to grow and be ready for a new step. We live in uncertain times. Brexit and Trump have added to that uncertainty. Life is uncertain at the best of times. Who can we trust? Who can we trust? We can trust a God with a plan. Our God is a great big God. And he holds us in his hands. Wow. No matter what happens, we can remember ultimately his plan is a plan to prosper us and not to harm us. And we can ultimately trust God. You know, it's probably better to return to God by hard times and difficulties and problems to be complacent in times of blessing and prosperity and plenty. It's better to be turned to God in hard times than to become complacent in times of blessing and plenty. And finally, no matter what we face, we have the hope of an eternal future with God. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I want to thank you that you have a plan. That you have a plan to prosper us and not to harm us. And no matter what's going on in our lives, your plan holds true and holds firm. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that whatever your plan is for us, that you will um, keep us on the track no matter how difficult it may get, but you will keep us on track with you. I pray for this church, whatever the plan is for this church, um, and no matter what troubles may come against it, that you will prosper it and not harm it, 
um, that we will be able to keep that uh, truth of Scripture in our minds, that your plan is to prosper us and not to harm us. And ultimately, Lord, that you will prepare us through your plan, the good and the bad and the ugly, Lord, stuff that happens in our lives. We pray that you will prepare us for eternal life with you. Amen. Thank you.